Paul, aren't you glad you sat on the right side tonight? <laughs> this morning? <laughs> the uh, gospel for today is a pretty... Oh, wrong page. Here we go. Now, if, like me, you attended Catholic school in the early 1960s or even earlier, then your memories of the Feast of Christ the King probably include a lot of marching. We'd line up, boys on one side, girls on the other, led by our battalion commander, Sister Mary Alma, and we would march from the schoolyard into the church, singing some sort of martial hymn, proclaiming ourselves soldiers of Christ, following the cross, and ready to storm the ramparts of evil. It was pretty rousing stuff. And back then, we knew what a king was, not because we had one as our head of state, but because we were still pretty close to fairy tales and storybooks. But even then, because we didn't have a king, and in fact, our country was founded in opposition to a king, we knew that this was metaphorical. And as we grew up, that metaphor became more and more of a problem. Now, I suspect that for most people, the generic king in our minds is the little guy from the comic strip, The Wizard of Id. Is that familiar at all? Yeah. This king is short, impulsive, reactionary, and exercises absolute authority. I don't think it's a coincidence that his kingdom is called Id, given the name that Freud uses to describe that piece of the personality that responds to our most primal wants and needs. This is a dangerous king because at the least offense, he could order you jailed or thrown on the rack. Not surprisingly, the king of Id is universally disliked and feared. Now, if the king from the Wizard of Id is a little before your time, or indeed a lot before your time, Think of the various kings and queens from the Game of Thrones. Same fearsome kings. And for many years, this was the sort of thing that most people thought about on this feast day, I suspect. Christ the King was one of the most triumphalistic feasts of the church's year. Lots of talk of thrones and dominions and majesty and power. And how odd then that we have this set of scripture readings. From Ezekiel, we have a vision of God as the good shepherd who will look after the sheep and rescue them and heal the ones that are hurt. God says, I'll look after them myself because their previous shepherds abused and scattered them. So who were those bad shepherds? Their kings. And even the gospel for today is a pretty surprising choice if you're expecting a triumphant scene of Christ in judgment reigning as king. What we have instead is a scene of judgment where it doesn't matter whether those being judged even knew the king's name. What matters is that they saw him in the poor and the hungry and the imprisoned. Rather than being impressed by power and position, this king and judge welcomes into his kingdom those who looked after the least and the lowliest. I think it's also worth pointing out that those who were not welcomed into his kingdom, and sorry, you who sat on the left side, 
Um, they were not condemned for anything that they did. Instead, they were held accountable for the things they failed to do. Their sins were all sins of omission. All three of the Gospels that the Church has for this feast day function in this way. In year B, which, by the way, starts next week, we have Jesus before Pilate, where the king, Pilate, becomes the criminal and the accused is revealed as the real king. In year C, coming in two years, the gospel is Luke's scene of Christ on the cross with a sign over his head that says, here's your king. These gospels shatter our images of the king who lives in the castle exercising absolute authority over his subjects. And what it leaves us is the king who sacrifices, who lives in the poor and the rejected, whose highest value is the truth, and who lays down his life for us. And that doesn't leave much room for triumphalism or imperialism or any kind of earthly authority. The Feast of Christ the King ought to make us a little uncomfortable. Not because we're uncomfortable with the metaphor of a king, but because we're still too comfortable with our own power and our own places of privilege in the hierarchies of our world. Part of our sinfulness is that as much as we say we dislike the idea of kingship, there's always that temptation to think, well, it might be okay if I was the king or the queen, as the case may be. But the Christ, the king of these gospels, challenges that temptation. We are asked to follow the king that we see in the poor and the rejected, the criminal who stands before Pilate for threatening the status quo, and the king who died on the cross. This is the last Sunday of the church's year. Next weekend begins the season of Advent, And during this Advent, we'll be preparing for the king who comes to us born into poverty, a refugee at his birth. And this is the sort of king that we follow. Today's celebration of Christ, the king, asks us to abandon our lust for power and status and to follow the king of the poor and walk with him from the manger through his cross and resurrection into his kingdom of justice and compassion.